Livermore is a city of power. Over at the lab, we have the most powerful laser in the world and one of the most powerful supercomputers in the world. You may know this, but Livermore is the home of the longest burning light bulb in history for over 100 years, right across the street from the church building. We have a lot of power here and we're used to it. But in the last couple weeks, with high temperatures and fire dangers, a lot of homes have lost power. When that happens, it leaves you asking yourself, what do we do when the power goes out? This is a, a question that I posted on Facebook this week. I said, what do you do when the power goes out at your place? Trying to get answers from folks. And I got a lot of great responses, which was great. I noticed that most of the answers fell into two different categories. Category number one was waited out. People said things like, well, you, you go to bed early. You take a nap if it's daytime. Sit on your couch and you eat all of your ice cream before it melts. You, what else can you do? You just wait it out. Category number two was more about reconnecting. A lot of people posted about taking that time to get together with the people they live with, playing cards, uh, doing board games, interacting with the, the people around them rather than just staring at a flat screen all night. So for them, when the power goes out, it gives them the chance to do something good that maybe they'd been neglecting a chance to strengthen relationships and to refocus on things that really matter. Well, we're in a series now called One Kingdom Indivisible, in which we are looking at God's expectations for his people all throughout scripture. And we're asking ourselves, what does that mean for us today? What does it mean to be united for God's purposes during a time of so much division? Last week, we looked at the Exodus story, where the Israelites learned to trust in God's power, in God's power alone. This week, we're looking at the period known as the exile, where God's people have lost all the power that they previously had. And we're going to spend some time this morning in the book of the prophet Jeremiah, as God's people are faced with this question. What do we do when the power goes out? So a lot of time in history passes between Moses and Jeremiah. And you might be wondering, well, what has Israel been up to? Well, you know, this and that, some ups and some downs, but I think generally things have kind of trended in a, a downward direction. God has asked them to trust in him, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And there are some leaders who trusted in God, and then some leaders who trusted more in their own power. There was a series of good kings and then some bad kings, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. Eventually, it's just mostly bad kings who don't trust in God and are not doing what God asked them to do, which was to be a blessing to others. So the book of Jeremiah begins with an indictment against Israel. They haven't been faithful to God. They haven't done the justice that they were commissioned to do. Even Israel's priests, remember those holy ones who were set apart the priests are corrupt. They're taking bribes. They're overlooking the vulnerable, widows, orphans, immigrants, and they worship other gods. And part of that even included participating in child sacrifice. It's really messed up. And God finally says, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to send you into exile. It's like a very long time out for some seriously bad behavior. So the nation of Babylon comes down from the north, conquers Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed, and the city lies in ruin. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon takes away almost all of uh, Israelite people to live as captives in someone else's land. That power 
that Israel had put their trust in was gone. And the people were left wondering, what are we supposed to do now? What do you do when the power goes out? Well, God helps Israel answer that question. Look at this, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God tells them to settle in, to get used to living in exile, because you're going to be there for a while. You know, just a few verses down from this scripture, uh, it's a very popular scripture that a lot of people like to get tattooed on their bodies. And you might be familiar with this scripture too. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I think a lot of people like this verse because it's about prosperity and it's about hope. It's a reminder that even if you can't see it now, God still has a future for you. But the verse right before it really reveals why getting this verse tattooed on your body is such a powerful statement of trust. It says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years? The people are thinking, we got to live that long without power, without our city, without our temple, without the only way of life that we've ever known how to navigate? And God says, yeah, that's the season that we're living in now. We're going to try something new. I want you to settle down, plant gardens, have children, and do all of this in Babylon and also for Babylon. God tells them, seek the prosperity of the city. Because if it prospers, you will prosper too. This reminds me a lot of what God said to Abram back in Genesis. I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Your blessing should be their blessing. Now, this is kind of an interesting development. This sounds like something different than what we'd heard before. In the Exodus, God's people were called out. But now with the exile, they're sent in. And they're told to build houses that they won't get to keep. Plant vineyards that someone else will come along and harvest. To be a blessing to these people who don't even care about Yahweh. It's a strange new development in the story of God's people. The power that they'd been allowed to have distracted them from doing what God had called them to do. And so God shuts off the power so that they can refocus. Focus again on things that really matter. They're in exile, but they're not just supposed to wait it out. They're to use it as an opportunity to reconnect with the mission that they'd neglected as God's people, to work together, to be a blessing to others, and to care for their neighbors. It may not seem like it, but this is actually a very political calling. Whoa, 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 you might be saying. Hold on, Jacob, time out. I don't like it when things get political. You know, the worship service, coming to church, that's supposed to be the one place I can come and not have to deal with all that divisive talk. Let's just leave politics out of this. I can understand that sentiment, but let me explain what I mean. Caring for the place in which you live 
is inherently political. The word politics comes from the Greek word for city, the word polis. And words like politic, political, policy, they're all related to decisions about what is best for the city. So in its simplest form, politics is anything done with or without power or authority for the good of the city. And so yes, voting is political, but so is picking up trash and helping out your neighbor. So is planting vineyards, building houses, raising families, all those things that God told his people they should be involved in. I think that when a lot of people say that they don't like politics, they're referring to things that they see on CNN and Fox News, national conventions and filibustering, campaigning and fundraising and mudslinging. And yes, all of those things are part of politics, but they're kind of the worst part of politics. They're the parts that are the most monetized and sensationalized and that seems like they're the parts that are designed to make people's blood boil and to drive a wedge between people who often actually do care about what's best for their city. You know, I was teaching a class, Tri-Valley, a few months back and I revealed to some people at one point uh, that I don't really like country music. I know, I know, I know. I don't look for the horns, hear me out. I told them I don't like country music because whenever I hear it on the radio, I just, I, it, it's not my thing. It doesn't sound good. And there were a couple guys in the class, they pulled me aside and they said, Jacob, well, the reason for that is because that's not real country music. The country music that you hear on the radio isn't real country. It's that party pop stuff. That's, that's not real country. I think, well, maybe the same thing could be said about politics that we see. A lot of that stuff that really makes people mad is not real politics. Real politics, really caring for the city, doesn't get airtime on the major news networks. It doesn't make headlines a lot of the time. Real politics is the faithful work that's done by people who can operate just fine even when the power is out. People like Donna, the founder, director, and the most hands-on worker for the Livermore Homeless Refuge. She's been at it for over 10 years now because she cares. Real politics is done by people like the Tri-Valley crew who've spent hours serving together in our benevolence ministry. People like Paul, whose heart was broken when he saw so many homeless people in long food lines in the Bay Area. And he decided to connect an organization called Hope Worldwide to folks in need who live out here. People like Brad and Rania and Orion and the rest of their team and the, the work that they're doing with the at-risk community on the streets of Brisbane, Australia. These people don't have power. These people aren't getting anything from it. It's often costing them something. But this was the kind of politics that Jesus taught and practiced as well. It's a political ethic that puts the needs of others above your own. In Mark 10, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says something kind of shocking. You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me ask kind of a sensitive question, and you don't have to answer out loud if you don't want to. 
Does the way that you vote reflect this political ethic of Jesus? Does it put the needs of others above your own? Ask yourself this. How many policies do you support primarily because they will make you more comfortable and safe? Will any of these things that you vote for cost you more but benefit and bless others? So in my Facebook poll on what you do when the power goes out, I said there were two categories, but there were actually there was actually kind of a third category that came out of the responses. And it was a category that said, you know, just get more power. And these people recommended things like, you know, you use your cell phone as a Wi-Fi hotspot, or maybe you just fire up the generator and get things back on track, or just fix the power. Somehow or another, you get the power back. And now this is fine for a blackout at your house. It's kind of the knee-jerk reaction of a city like Livermore, which is used to being a city of power. But it's the kind of attitude that sometimes keeps God's people stuck. As I mentioned last week, Christians sometimes think that we need that political or government power in order to make a difference. But the exile shows us that the power that Israel depended on for so long was part of their problem. It caused them to neglect the things that really mattered. Country radio politics may have led us to believe that it's all about power, but that's not how Jesus did politics. That's not real politics. The way we vote, the way we neighbor, the way we serve should all reflect the servant attitude of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God, that power, he didn't consider it something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And just as God raised Joseph up from powerlessness to a place ruling alongside the Egyptian Pharaoh, God raises up Jesus from the dead. And God exalts Jesus to the highest place and place. And he gives him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And sometimes that happens. Even from positions of powerlessness, God raises up leaders to positions of influence. This is another interesting development during the time of the exile. Remember, with the Exodus, God's people defied and they opposed evil world leaders like Pharaoh. But with the exile, God's people will actually work with secular world leaders. Daniel is one example of this. Daniel's made the royal satrap under King Darius. And he works for the evil regime who conquered Jerusalem and sent his people to exile in the first place. But Daniel's faithful example leads to Darius praising and even promoting the God of Israel. There was also a Hebrew woman named Hadassah who was taken against her will. She becomes the favorite wife of the Persian ruler Xerxes. She becomes queen and she eventually stops a plan to kill all of the Hebrew people. She saves all of Israel. She was God's faithful ambassador for good, embedded within the Persian culture that she found herself in. So much so that we know her better by her Persian name, and that name was Esther. Daniel and Esther were Hebrew exiles, but they didn't just wait it out. They got to work. They were not in positions of power, but they worked with people they disagreed with and were able to influence whole nations for God's purposes. Maybe we can do the same. 
whether from a position of influence or the real politics of simply making daily efforts to love and to serve, our calling remains the same. Live in the land and be a blessing to all nations. When we do that, we are practicing real politics, the politics of Jesus. I want to invite you now to pray a prayer with me that reminds us to put others above ourselves. Pray this out loud with me. Once again, Lord Jesus Christ, I face the power of conceitedness. Against the torrent of oblivion, I plead the blood of Jesus. When I am praised for the good you have done in me, help me to praise your goodness and remember the sin that keeps me from praising you without ceasing. When I long for others to know how much I am suffering for you, humble me before the cross and overwhelm my spirit with your unsurpassable love. When I imagine the great things I might do for you, give me small things to do by the power of your great love and grant me strength to do them. Deliver me from conceit that I might not be handed over to pride or sadness, but ascend to the humility in which my joy may be complete. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you'd like to know more about following Jesus, please get in touch with me. You can text me or you can email the church office. Following Jesus is, is what we're all about here at the Tri-Valley Church. We believe that if we're doing that correctly, then we're going to be a blessing in our homes and in our communities. And we'd love for you to know more about this or to become a more dedicated part of this mission. So please, let us know if you'd like to learn more or if we can help you or pray for you or encourage you in any way. Let's sing together. <laughs>